As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome, everybody, to Soccer 101. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and this week we are recording as the 2024 MLS season kicks off, which means we're doing some MLS-centric episodes, and Graham Ruthven is here, the designated player of all of our hearts, to talk the designated player rule. Hello, Graham. Hello, Taylor Rockwell. I hadn't actually noticed that the MLS season starts this week. Had, had you noticed that? I don't know if you've done any like extensive preview episodes, episodes that have pushed you to the limits of your research time recently bit, but it's true bit. the new seasons kicks off this week you're correct there mm-hmm. between this and uh my toddler's school not yet being open so she's home the eight week old is home it's been a lot graham ruthven who <laughs> needs sleep it's fine i'm just losing my mind reading about uh you know aziel jackson and all that good stuff <laughs> but we don't need to talk mls regular season because we're gonna talk designated player rule we have met many designated players in the league but we need to figure out what that actually is, when it was first introduced, how it's evolved over time, uh, what the future might look like for those spots. Graham, first off, what is a designated player? Let's do that first. So so first of all, as a very quick precursor, it's a little bit wild we've not done this as a one-on-one episode so You far. messaged and said, hey, I don't think we've done this yet. I've checked everywhere. And I was like, no, we have to. We have to have done that. And I'm assuming it's one of those episodes that we plan to do, but then... It feels very like, oh, yeah, it's just a surface level, like 10 minute chat. And then it gets really nuanced with young DPs and the evolution of DPs and buying down DPs and all that stuff. And I think maybe it's one that we were just like, you know what? We'll leave that for Paul Tenorio or Joe Lowry or somebody. (laughs) But you know what? We're undertaking it now. Graham Ruffin has his Portland Timbers shirt on, I'm assuming, uh, as a solidarity move with the designated player rule. I like it, Graham. Well done. Yes, this was entirely deliberate. This is in solidarity <laughs> with Evander, who yeah, I'm, I'm, yes. I'm still yes. arguing will come good at some point. We did Gam and Tam before we did the mm-hmm. DP rule as a one one episode, Weird. which probably says something about the sort of sickos that we are, quite frankly. <laughs> I think that's a reflection of us. But anyway, you asked me a question. I'll now answer that question. So what is a designated player? According to um, Major Major League Soccer Soccer.com, mm-hmm. my favorite internet resource. Ridiculous. Quote, the designated player rule allows clubs to acquire up to three players whose total compensation and acquisition costs exceed the maximum salary budget charge, with the club bearing financial responsibility for the amount of compensation above each player's salary budget charge. A lot of terms in there. <laughs> That's a bit of a word salad, but basically. 
Um, there's a salary cap in MLS, as I'm sure listeners are aware of, that teams must stay under when assembling the, the rosters every season. And the designated player rule allows teams to go above that cap in terms of both wages and transfer fees for three players. And that money is basically just whatever that club can find down the back of the couch. So if you mm-hmm. have a, a rich hmm. owner, your team will usually be able to spend more on uh, designated players. Doesn't always work for Colorado Rapids and Stan Kroenke, but anyway, that's another talking point. But look at Atlanta United with Arthur Blank, or Jorge Mas mm-hmm. in Inter-Miami, or LAFC and their countless celebrity owners. They've all spent a lot of money on big-name designated players. Um, just a quick recap no pun intended on the salary cap numbers so in 2023 the base salary cap was 5.2 million dollars there was an additional 1.9 million available in general allocation money which is gam and 2.7 million in targeted allocation money which is tam if you want an explanation on what those things are scroll down the feed and find that episode that i was talking Mm -hmm. about from about a year ago i might need that refresher myself to be honest um so there is a a budget charge for each designated player um over the age of 23 that charge varies depending on on whether they were signed (laughs) at the start of the season here we go or in the summer transfer window because Mm -hmm. of course mls needed to add another layer of complexity to this and there is such a thing as a young dp as well which is if you are under the age of 20 or if you're age 23 mm. or under and essentially it's like um almost like tax bans the closer you are to that 20 to 24 the more that charge is going to be mm. but say you're an 18 year old or a 19 year old that budget charge is going to be um minimal compared to what it would be for a, a fully fledged designated player and so uh graham forgive me uh to go back to it what was the the salary hit for a dp in 2023 so if you have a designated player in there what are they uh going against the cap so it was it was just over six hundred thousand um dollars is what i found Mm -hmm. in the numbers for 2023 and Um, so i don't have the classification in terms of whether they were signed mid-season or uh before the season that was that was too much for me but that's that's the general hit and basically if you're a young dp there are bands that mean you're you'll pay less than that and then the base salary cap for 2023 you said was $5.2 $5.2 million. There and then, go. of course, there's Gam and Tam on top yeah. of that. So, put very simply, you've got that $5.2 million. If you want to bring in, let's say, a player like Lionel Messi, uh, you're going to have to pay him more than $600,000 to get him in your team. Uh, you're going to have to pay him a lot. But if you're paying him $5 million a year, they don't really want you to only have $200,000 left over to play the re- pay the rest of your team. So, you're basically... Uh, he counts as $600,000 against that budget, and then the rest of it you're paying. It doesn't really matter, aside from the fact that you have to pay it. But that's how you can get yeah. big-name players in for big money, which is where we get the origin of the rule in the first place. Because we're a long way away from this being called the Beckham Rule, but there was a time when it was <laughs> yeah. called the David Beckham Rule. Yeah, so the, the rule was first introduced back in 2007, and as you referenced, Taylor, it was widely dubbed, dubbed the Beckham Rule because it was the mechanism that allowed the LA Galaxy to sign the man himself. So before then, the salary cap was a, a, a lot more solid in terms of you couldn't fit a player. If you couldn't fit a player under the cap, you, you couldn't sign them. Um, so when Beckham became available, a mechanism to permit his signing on a contract of $250 million over five years, which I don't know if you've noticed, that is a little bit more than the salary cap even uh, today. Hmm. Basically, a mechanism was created to, to allow that. And obviously, Beckham was the catalyst, but there had been a drive for a, a few years. I found some new, new uh, newspaper articles from the LA Times in the couple of years before that, with basically owners lobbying the league to do something that would allow them to spend a little bit more money. And I think the first few years of MLS had been about stability 
and making sure that mm-hmm. the league didn't go the way of the, the old NESL and other American soccer leagues, countless indoor soccer leagues. I can't believe how many indoor soccer <laughs> leagues there's been in the history of America, American soccer. But they all disappeared very quickly amid, you know, overspending, certainly in the case of the Cosmos and the old NESL. But by the mid-2000s, it was clear that MLS needed to accelerate its growth. And um, to do that, they needed better, more recognizable players. So the DP rule was essentially a way, a mechanism to attract those players without destabilizing the league and also maintaining a decent degree of parity. And that balance is something MLS tries to strike even to this day. And I think when the rule first comes in, when Beckham first arrives and it opens that door to every team having a designated player and then two and now three and maybe someday four or five, it felt in the moment like, okay, so it's just going to be big names. It's going to be every team gets a sort of all-star name, a global superstar. And I kind of think that's what other leagues have done. The A-League did that for a while when there was the Indian Super League for like a good six months or so you had like each team had that one superstar name that was going to pull in numbers and some teams have gone that way but as the designated player spot has evolved Graham it feels like teams have taken varying approaches to that spot yeah there are there are different reasons that MLS clubs sign DP so the most obvious reason is this is stating the obvious but it's to improve their team very simplistic if you're spending big on a player there's a good chance that player is of a higher quality, and so they, in theory, anyway, will improve your team. Um, But that isn't the only consideration. There might also be commercial and marketing considerations. So Lionel Messi is the GOAT. He's already improved Inter-Miami pretty dramatically as a team, but Inter-Miami also wanted him for the intention that he would draw, Mm -hmm. the shirts that he would sell with Messi printed on the back of them, the tickets he would sell, all that uh, cold, hard cash that would come their way with, with Messi and their team. And then more recently, and this is where, for me anyway, it gets really interesting with the designated Mm -hmm. player rule and how teams have interpreted it differently, certainly in like the last six to ten years. So we've seen MLS teams use their DP spots to sign highly rated young players with the idea of selling them on maybe to a a European team in the future. They'll have a, a, a transfer model, a business model as a club, and they use the designated player slots that they have as part of that model. So... I, this is where a listener tells me that someone else, another team pioneered it, but I think Atlanta United popular, mm. popularized this when they did it with Miguel Almiron and they tried it with Isakil Barco as well, although that one didn't work out so well. But that's, that's certainly what Atlanta United have done as a club. They haven't really gone into the market for the Messies, the, the Beckhams, the Henrys, these sort of players. They have gone to South America and they have used the money that Arthur Blank has as an owner and they have used the designated player spots, which allow Blank to spend basically whatever he wants, they have used that to jump to the front of the queue to get some of these players from, from South America, and then the plan is to move them on. So, yeah, yeah there's different interpretations of, of, of how this rule can work for certain clubs. It's wild how quickly things evolve, because I think you're right that Atlanta were the ones who sort of pioneered that. Maybe other teams have done that in like uh, fits and spurts, but Atlanta felt like the first ones to identify, we're going to bring in this young player, we're going to play him for a year or two, he's going to be good, then we're going to sell him on for even more, and we'll kind of keep uh, increasing our budget accordingly. And and I think that's obviously a very smart business decision, but it also reminds me of the not-too-distant past in which there was a large conversation to be had about, should Major League Soccer be a selling league? Should it be a league that identifies young talent, plays it for a year or two, and sells it on, instead of trying to build dynasties and keep teams together for four five and six seasons and it does seem like multiple 
uh, teams in Major League Soccer have embraced that model of sell players on as soon as there's a good enough offer. We'll figure out how to operate um, in their absence. And that is sort of kind of one of my favorite things about Major League Soccer is how it is this organizational institution that wants to be taken very seriously. It wants to be perceived as becoming one of the best leagues in the world, but also has very strict rules about budgets and salaries and how you operate and how you do this. And then at the same time, will when Beckham is available, when Messi is available, when Clinton Dempsey wants to come back to MLS, just sort of be like a ah, new Dempsey rule. He can go wherever he wants. <laughs> and, and there are those moments where they will sort of change the rules to accommodate uh, the changing of the tide. Uh, so I, it makes me happy for Major League Soccer. Designated players have not always made me happy because as a DC United fan, They've missed. They've missed a lot of them, Graham. And that is another interesting thing about the DP rule and players embracing having designated players in their team is that some do a very good job of scouting, figuring out how a player is going to fit in exactly, uh, and then putting them on a salary where they can be bought down fairly quickly so that they are no longer a designated player because that is something you can do. If they're under that salary hit, then they're no longer a DP. And then some teams spend way too much and basically end up having designated players that are out on loan for like two and three years at a time because they don't know what else to do with them. So it can be a really beneficial thing. It can also be a somewhat disastrous thing if you get it wrong consistently. You're telling me, Taylor, that you're not happy with the run of DC of DPs that DC have, have had. It's bad. Uh, Rooney, it's bad. Lucas Rodriguez, Edison Flores, Ed, Edison Flores. I, I'm not even sure I could tell you much about him. Taxi Funtas, that one worked yeah. out well. You know, Matthias Click is okay. As, as David Goss calls him, noted racist Taxi Funtas. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. yeah, that one worked out perfectly. Yeah, it's not it's not a great list here. The the DC one, the DC United one that I'm looking at, and yes, um, a lot of the time, or most of the time, actually your scouting needs to be on point to find the mm-hmm. right DP for your your team. It feels like a lot of the time M- MLS teams will get attracted by the shiny yep. DP, mm-hmm. regardless of whether that fits in, they fit into their team. Uh, and so the teams that have used those DP slots have had that consideration. I think of LAFC, who have kind of struck the balance between tar- targeting the big names like Carlos Vela, um, obviously this offseason they've signed Ugo Lloris, um, but this season, that's maybe a perfect example. They they clear out Maxime Cropo so that there is a place for Ugo Lloris mm-hmm. to come in and be their starting goalkeeper. They also target players like Denny Boanga, um, you know Diego Rossi going back a few years to their expansion season. So they've they've struck a nice balance between the two ends of the spectrum. I think another interesting thing for me about designated players is how it has shifted in my mind from like, oh, they're bringing in this guy. He's going to run the league. He's going to be the MVP. He's going to be David Beckham and score a million goals and provide a million assists and elevate the entire team. There was that time where it felt like any DP coming in, you knew immediately was going to be a difference maker or could be a difference maker. And I do feel like it's evolved because of some of the reasons you've talked about the commercial marketing side, targeting younger players. And then clubs still just targeting a name to the point where I see a DP and I think like, okay, which thing are you going to be? And like with DC United, Christian Benteke has been a good goal scorer, a reliable player for them. At the same time, when I see that announced, I feel like I feel like you're just going for a name. I feel like you want people to be like, oh, they signed a name. I know that's exciting. Good job, DC. I feel like I'm just ripping on DC United in this episode. Uh, and but that's another interesting part of how that that role has evolved that it's gone from in my mind a slam dunk this is going to be a difference maker to a uh, i don't know let let's see how this plays out i don't think it's it, it is quite like always quite the same impact as it has been in years past yeah the the history of the dp rule is littered with 
players who have come to MLS and have essentially treated it as a last stop before mm. retirement, right? The one that uh, sticks in my mind is Steven Gerrard, who just was not interested in being at LA Galaxy. Yeah. I think he was there just Refusing to... to sign the jersey. Do you remember that? Like right before he leaves Liverpool? That. Oh, he's like, he's still playing for Liverpool. He's got a game or two left and a fan has a Galaxy jersey at Anfield. And they're like, oh, Steven, will you sign it? And he's being filmed and he's like, no, I'll focus on them in the postseason or like after the season. <laughs> like he won't even sign a Galaxy jersey. I think that was a... I think at the time it was like, no, you understand where he's coming from. You get it. He doesn't want to think about that now. And and in retrospect, it does feel very much like he literally didn't want to think about going yeah. to the galaxy. Yeah, my, my read on that is he and his family just kind of wanted to live in California and playing yeah. for the galaxy was an inconvenience. He was he was flying back and forth to the UK to do Insane. punditry while playing yeah. for the LA Galaxy. So yeah, getting not just getting a talented player that fits into your team, but getting a a DP who is engaged with what you're trying to do as a team. I mean, I obviously I'm I'm dunking on the, the Galaxy there, but let's use a good example of a, a big name DP who really did plug in to the Galaxy as a team was Robbie Keane mm-hmm. and what he achieved achieved at, at the Galaxy. Yeah, so that you have to do your scouting well. You have to um, get a good read on the on the personality. I think you have to clarify before you sign a player what is it you're trying you're trying to achieve. Is this a commercial signing? I'm not even necessarily saying that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Messi's a commercial signing. I think we both agree that's one of the best things, or arguably the best thing that's ever happened to MLS is getting getting Lionel Messi. Same with David Beckham, one of the best things to ever happen to the league. But you need to set out those parameters. I remember there was that trend. Was it post 2014 World Cup? Um, when there was a there was a trend where clubs were looking to sign American stars with their DP DP places. You mm-hmm. mentioned Clint Dempsey going to Seattle, which was a really big story at the time, a really big deal at the time. I remember there was the the story he was going to MLS, but people weren't entirely sure where he was going to go to because of the discovery rights um, that you were situation that you were talking about. And then he spotted at Seattle Airport and fans rushing to the airport to greet him. And um, we had Landon at the Galaxy, of course, for a long time. Michael Bradley goes to Toronto around that 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 same point I think I remember it being that time because Jürgen Klinsmann was very unhappy Hmm. about all his best players coming to MLS when he was arguing that they should be playing in in Europe so there are different trends there are different parameters and the smart clubs find a way to navigate those things yeah, I would I would look at a club like uh, St. Louis City SC, uh, who don't always have the easiest name to say, but I do think have been very smart in identifying those players, to your point, Graham, that fit the style, but I think fit on a personality level, are excited to be there and elevate the team. Zhao Klaus is one of those where I felt like, all right, I guess that's a designated player. Sure, St. Louis, I knew nothing about him. It seemed like an odd one to not go for a bigger name when it's your expansion season your inaugural season and yet he has been an incredibly effective player for them so i think the varying approaches uh make sense as long as there is logic behind that varying approach who in your mind graham would you say are like the biggest designated players in mls history i think i'm, I'm assuming Zhao klaus is on there <laughs> but uh short of him who else would you throw in well, I was going to nominate Edward Leuven for of course. first going with uh, St. Louis. Uh, good player, but doesn't make my list. Uh, so obviously, we've mentioned him a bunch of time. Beckham started off the mm-hmm. whole thing in 2007. Um, by joining the Galaxy, when he had a good portion of his career left, um, which is, I think, one of the things overlooked with Beckham, is he, wa- he was in his 30s. He was like, what, 31, 32 at that point? Mm-hmm. But he played for a good number of years and also went to Milan and PSG. He was operating at a high level, and that was just such a huge signing stating the obvious here, but over in the UK and in Europe, it put MLS on the map in a meaningful way. LA Galaxy shirts were everywhere over here around that time. That just hadn't happened before Beckham went there. I would have been like 
16 years old when Beckham went to MLS. I'm not entirely sure that I would have heard of MLS before Beckham went to that league. So it really did put MLS on the map. Then you had Terry Henry at the New York Red Bulls, Didier Drogba in Montreal, Kaka, Orlando City. You had the NYCFC signings with David Villa and Frank Lampard. I've already mentioned Robbie Keane and Steven Gerrard at LA Galaxy. Sebastian Javinko, who was a, that was a slight shift in mm-hmm. terms of DPs coming to MLS because I think he was like 29 or 30 when he goes to Toronto FC. He was a Italian international. So that was a, a big move. And obviously he went, ended up being one of the best DPs in MLS history. And then I look at the more modern breed of DPs and there's guys like Miguel Meron, Joseph Martinez, Tiago Almada, Ricky Puge, uh, Denny Buwanga. Basically, these are players who are in, in their prime when they move to MLS. And they might not have the, the name recognition of Beckham or Messi, but the argument is maybe they can contribute more on, on, on the pitch in their peak year. So that in itself there, I think, is an encapsulation of the progress MLS has, has made as a league. Because I don't think Ricky Puge or, or Denny Buwanga or any of these guys, back in 2007, I don't think they would ever entertain the idea of, mm-hmm. of, of going to MLS. So in a weird way, the DP rule is a yardstick of that progress that the league has enjoyed over, what is that, like 16, 17 years? Yeah. Uh, a couple more for me. Uh, Kaka is definitely on that list. That was such a like sizable moment. I remember just like going to preseason stuff uh, around around when like he came to DC for one thing with Orlando, and it was like the the where the event space was was completely packed the hotel where it was like you had a mob of people outside he was just such a name there was such enthusiasm behind him i think that that definitely has to be on the uh the mount rushmore of dps two more that i think are particularly interesting juan pablo angel i think is a three-time designated player he was one for the red bulls he was one for chivas and i think also one for the galaxy as well uh but i remember him coming in and that felt like oh like they've gotten a guy who didn't really feel like he was meeting his potential uh, in England with Villa, and he comes to the league and just is a very good player, uh, and, and it felt like that was a shift in, you can bring in a sort of medium name who has a lot of talent, and then they will perform, and they will be a sort of uh, productive player, basically. If not a superstar, then a very like solid, productive player. And then if we're talking about names that are going to like turn some heads, put, put uh, butts in seats... I would say Quatebec Blanco of the Chicago Fire would be one of those. Just like a legendary uh, L Tree player, uh, the uh, the bunny hop move. I think he did that plenty in the league, and is one of my favorites. Uh, he was he's a great one, and he's a very early one as well. After Beckham first arrived, so we've had as we've talked about the big names, the medium names, the lesser known names. Uh, Graham, how do you feel like we see the designated player evolve from here on out? Yeah, it feels like we're at a, we're at a crossroads in terms of roster rules and the designated player rule, and and pre- pressure is being applied on the league to expand the roster rules so that teams can spend more money on players. There was some reporting towards the end of last year that Jorge Mas was leading a group of owners who are lobbying for changes. Now that isn't too surprising, given inter- given Inter Miami's track record when it comes to spending. That Jorge Mas is the the one leading that charge. Yeah, it and does is- feel like. The Beckham rule was originally a way to get David Beckham into the league, and now the Beckham rule is David Beckham's Inter-Miami can spend whatever they want, and it's fine. Don't worry about it. It's a different yeah. Beckham rule. This rule is going to be called the ask for forgiveness, not permission rule. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, and there's still some confusion over over how Inter-Miami have actually managed to stay under the cap with their yeah. current squad, players like Jordi Alba, not a designated player for Inter-Miami. 
I don't know. That I, I still find that difficult to believe. But maybe he just wants to play with his mate in South Florida. But um, yeah, while MLS has has resisted that pressure for the for the time being, I think it's likely. I'm editorializing here, but my opinion is I think it's likely there will be changes over the next five to ten years. That could be an expansion of the DP rule to include four or five players. It could be a you know a dramatic r- raising of the salary allowance. This is all speculation, of course, but. I, I, I've said this before. I would like to see a luxury tax of some yeah. sort. I think that would untangle a lot of the rules. And um, because it has got very, very complicated. By adding even... more rules, you think it would untangle <laughs> well, the no, rules? You right? get rid of basically all the other rules and you yeah. have like a, a luxury tax. So oh, basically. Okay. Okay. My bad. That you would, that would allow clubs to spend more freely, but you, you know, you would be in theory strengthening others in the league as well or giving them a bigger budget to mm-hmm. go and, um, and strengthen their squads. So. It does feel like there's a direction of travel that might end with um, some big changes, which honestly, in my opinion, feels a bit overdue. But at the end of last year, MLS said they're not going to make those changes um, kind of imminently, certainly not for this season. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see. So what I thought you were saying, uh, because to my mind, Major League Soccer at present is about like evolution, but controlled evolution, which I think is just how every sci-fi movie goes wrong. Uh, but in this case, what I thought you were getting at is is an expansion of DP slots from, say, three to five, but those extra two would then require a luxury tax payment. So it basically charges teams that want to be comp- more competitive, quote-unquote, uh, to allow those extra slots to then have to pay more money that goes to the teams that don't want to spend more money to get in those DPs. My head hurts. I- I know, I know, but I feel like that's <laughs> sort of how they might expand it. It does seem like we're at a strange, like, not quite breaking point, but it feels like a lot of holes are being plugged in the dam of, there are three slots, but the budget is still really low. We're increasing it by, like, $200,000 this year. Does that not do it? it? It does seem like there needs to be some sort of wholesale change, some sort of sweeping reform to how we're looking at at the the cap, the budget, because even there, Graham, and we will circle back to the beginning of this episode, it's called a salary cap in most leagues. And at Major League Soccer, time and time again, I've been told, it's better to think of it as a salary budget yeah. that changes based on certain factors, because you have a cap, but then you have GAM, but then you have TAM, but then you have other money and, and incentives and prize money, and it just, it can really start to fluctuate pretty pretty widely. And I do think Major League Soccer is rapidly approaching a time when they really have to kind of re-engineer this rather than just trying to slap new sort of innovations yeah. on it, new ways of dealing with it. Uh, and I think that's going to be slightly tricky, which is maybe why it hasn't happened quite yet. I've said this before. I think the roster rules and the transfer rules are one of the things that, that is holding MLS back mm-hmm. from being... I mean, look, it's an, it's an American League, American-Canadian League... They likely don't care about European observers or observers around the world. But from in a global sense, I think it's one of the things that's holding MLS back from being like a mainstream league is that here in the UK, at least 50% of coverage of football is about transfers, mm-hmm. is about players going to this team. And financial fair play has changed the landscape a little bit and it is becoming a, a tiny bit more complicated to track. Well, can this team spend some money? But by and large, we don't have those complications in that discourse. With MLS... 
it is a completely different landscape where you have to consider all those different things. Salary cap, mm-hmm. gammon tam, designated players, young designated players, discovery rights. Um, it is a, a minefield. And so I am, hmm. it's one of, one of my strongest opinions about MLS. The other one being, I, I hate the lopsided schedule, but my other, strong opinion about MLS is strip it all back, make it easier for fans to get interested in the transfers and the trades because that's such a big part of, of sport. You see it in basketball, they did it recently with, I'm a little bit out of my depth here, right? But free agency in basketball, I believe the last few years has been a big thing in terms of driving interest and discussion about transfers or not transfers, trades and players going to certain clubs. MLS needs to take a similar tact and strip certain things back because it's become too overwhelming. So I hear you. I kind of love it for that reason. And I'll That's because you're sickle. We've established well, the, this. Yeah, We're all sickles. It's fair. The, the reason – I'll explain why I love it, but I will first say the lack of transparency is what I think really is the thing that holds it back. That we – as we said, the season starts this week, and we still don't have clarity on – like, like how they like, I think we only got the playoff structure this week, but like yeah. aside from the actual structure of the league, in terms of what the budgets are looking like, what players are costing, what, like how Gam and Tam are being allocated, like it's just we don't get clarity on it. We don't get transparency. And I think part of that is because the league doesn't want to make it clear. Part of that is because it's really difficult to make it all clear at once. And I think the teams that navigate it really, really well also don't want it to be made clear because. Because of all these Byzantine rules and finding loopholes and finding ways to get through specific rules so that you can operate legally, quote unquote, it's a huge advantage for teams that can do that. And I think front offices that are particularly adept at it don't want other teams to know how they're doing it. Um, And so I wish we could get more clarity. I wish there was a way to see how those little maneuvers happen and and how teams put themselves in position to be better when there is theoretical parity. And that was sort of the great thing about Allocation Disorder, the podcast that uh, Paul and Sam used to do, is they would get into the weeds on certain moves because I think they, too, were sickos. But I would definitely listen, Graham, to a podcast that focuses on things like – this is one of my favorite ones recently. So there was the Duncan McGuire saga, right, where he's supposed to be sold to Blackburn. The move falls through because Blackburn – I guess, don't hit send or whatever it is or don't click uh, save on a document. I think that's truly what happened. So he – then goes back to Orlando City. But there was an argument very briefly that because he had left Orlando City and gone to Blackburn, that he is no longer an Orlando City player. And Tom Bogart reported that one MLS team put in a discovery rights claim on Duncan McGuire immediately (laughs) to see if they could then get his rights to then have to get GAM money back. I think the league shut that down. But there are things like that that teams will do to try to get that little competitive edge, maybe just to troll a little bit. And I think that does make it somewhat fascinating. So I'm still here for the Byzantine rules, although I would like them to be maybe a tiny bit slightly less Byzantine because I don't think that worked out for the Byzantine Empire in the end. (laughs) No, it didn't. All I want, Taylor, is for um, it to be easier for me to be an MLS team and football manager. That's all I want. (laughs) That's it. From this whole situation. That's all Graham ever wants is to be able (laughs) to watch the team he is playing as a football manager all day, every day while playing with them. I think that works. You know how, Taylor, you have... um, previously said to me a couple of times that football manager is quite overwhelming mm-hmm. to you and I can understand that with the tra- training <laughs> yeah. and the transfers and everything go on MLS team and get back to me on just how overwhelming that is right, I'm gonna go do that now I'll report back in the nine months it will take me to figure out how to do that uh, Graham Ruthven thank you very much for talking designated players with me today my friend thank you Taylor Rockwell
Listeners, thank you so much. Uh, now let's all go spend the rest of the season watching and talking about Lionel Messi, who will soon be the Mount Rushmore of designated players unto himself. Easy for me to say. Talk to you next week.